welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome in, everybody. You know what time it is, baby. It's Thursday. It's time for a red-hot new episode of the Bro Nouveau Podcast. <laughs> so let me, let me tell you a story. A few weeks ago, there was an immense rugby match played in Fresno, California, between the Fresno Golden Dogs and the San Francisco Fog. And after the dust settled, the two teams were enjoying some adult beverages, and I met a very interesting guy. We started chatting, cool life story, very articulate, great personality. Occasionally, I'll just invite random people on the show, and the the hit rate or the success rate is pretty low because <laughs> most people don't want to just hop on a podcast and talk about their life and their trials and struggles and what they've learned and all the, everything they had to overcome to, to be the person they are today, but not this man. So I guess this week is Marlon. He and I met playing rugby, and we really had an awesome conversation where he got really honest and clear about his process of eventually acknowledging his mental health challenges as a young adult. So 22 years old or so, you know, growing up in a environment where that wasn't permitted or it wasn't even something that was seen as real as having mental health problems. And then realizing as a young adult that there was a whole bunch of trauma to process and decisions to be made about values and, how to how to steer his own life from that moment forward. If there are men or, or women or anyone in your life, but especially for men, I think they'll find this relatable, who need some modeling of it's okay to talk about things, it's okay to acknowledge your feelings, it's okay to acknowledge that you are human, send them this episode and it will have a positive impact. So a big thank you to Marlon for coming on the show this week. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't, please give the show a rating on whichever platform you listen on. Go play rugby. If you're afraid of getting injured or you've had too many concussions, go play touch rugby. It's so great. (laughs) Best sport ever. All right. Roll it. Marlon, what's up, man? Good morning. Welcome to the Brony Boat Podcast. Morning, brother. How you doing? Excellent, man. Thank you for uh, taking the time on your day off to have a chat. Um, so where are you? Uh, where are you driving to at the moment? So I'm I'm headed to Anaheim right now. I'm going to go to Disneyland today, and then tomorrow I'm going to visit the Van Gogh Submersive Exhibit. See what, try to see some art stuff. Oh, nice! Should be fun. Should be fun. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, actually, just I just read recently that so Van Gogh wasn't well known or famous during his lifetime at all. Like, really? I think he sold he sold one piece while he was alive. Everything else was. Uh, after his death. I had no idea. Yeah, kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting. So there, there's the Van Gogh exhibit and the Picasso exhibit, and I really wanted to see Picasso, but she wanted to see the Van Gogh, so here we are. <laughs> you know how that goes? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Happy uh, happy wife, happy life is the... There you go. That's what it is. <laughs> She's happy. I have no choice but to be happy. Awesome, man. Okay, so we uh, played some rugby the other day, and yeah. afterwards I was talking to you, and you're an interesting dude, and you were you were open to coming in the podcast. So 
I don't want to like reveal too much of the story, but definitely excited to kind of uh, crack that open. Just to to be fair, I just want want to acknowledge that you did absolutely skin me for about a fifty meter try at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that <laughs> that was fun. Oh, I had a ton so, of fun in that game, man. You guys are the rowdy bunch. Yeah, it was a good game. You know, a yeah. consolation try for you at the end. You know. Mm-hmm. After a after a thumping victory by <laughs> the fog. After, yeah, I had to uh, call my other wing to switch sides because I, I really wanted the plays. <laughs> yeah. You don't understand. You, <laughs> the only thing that I know how to do is make plays. You know, because I um, I played college football, so I really don't know how to do anything but run. That's it. I haven't quite learned the game yet. So I, I started playing in the summer. Right, I started playing in sevens. My first ever, my first time ever playing rugby was. June, June, July. Awesome. That's really interesting, man. So how do you like it compared to football? I love it. It's, it's, it's everything you want from a sport. Uh, I mean, and it's a lot less, um, football's a little coddled. You know what I mean? The yeah. rugby, you, it's, it's full go in rugby. I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a really good outlet as well. Interesting. So you describe football as coddled. What do you, what do you mean? Well, yes, I mean, totally so... Uh, what do you mean you know, by the... Um, yeah. So American football, right? Well, and, and maybe I didn't really understand this until I played rugby, really. Um, you know, I, I thought back back in the day when I was really wanting to play football and when I, when I went to college for it, um, I thought that was just a tough man sport, right? And then switching to the di- from the dynamic of fighting and then taking what I learned there and transitioning it to rugby. Rugby is the ultimate sport. You have everything in it. Um, And, you know, you don't have pads. You don't have a helmet. You don't have shin pads. You have yourself and your, you know, all the bodies on the field with you, and that's it. I love it. Nice. Yeah, so maybe closer to martial arts then in that sense. I think so. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of wrestling going on for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I got suplexed. <laughs> I, I saw you, you Gator rolled, suplexed. Everything was it was a hot mess on that field. <laughs> awesome, man. So yeah, so you play for the Fresno Golden Dogs, um, uh, and that was actually your your club's first league game in NorCal, which is awesome. Yeah, um, we were the we're the first men's club in 50 years. Wow. So it's a really we we're really actually working on it. Our coach built that program from the ground up. Um, he, he invested blood, sweat, tears, and all the money that, that he could muster up. You know what I mean? And so it, it was a really big deal to us. And it was a really big honor to, to share that moment with him really, because he works. So like I said, I, I'm, I'm a very new rugby player, but that man's been playing rugby his whole life. So to kind of go out there and, you know, win, lose or draw, it, we went out there and we played and. We made history that day, and you guys were a part of that. We were a part of that, and I'm really grateful. And I'm, and I know he's really grateful, and the team's really grateful. Totally, man. Yeah, it was such a such a wonderful moment, and for us too, <clears throat> a really big moment because we have been on the losing end in our league for a really long time since. So I, this is my fourth season with the Fog. And uh, before Saturday, that was my sec- second league win in four years. 
you know, and so from a club's morale perspective, you know, if, you know, if you're not winning, it's like, we're competitive people, you know, it's like, we're, we're doing this because we're athletes and we want to compete and we want to get better. And so for so many years to just lose, (laughs) it's so brutal. So for us too, it was a big deal because there's a lot of new guys in the team, you know, a lot of guys who are in like their first or second seasons playing. And yeah, just to kind of get that confidence and get that uh, affirmation that, you know, we can win. It's a, it's a big deal. So we met in Fresno. That's where you, where you live, where you're from. Just wanted to ask a little bit about, you know, who, who are you and what are your, what are the kind of experiences and milestones that, that led to, you know, the person you are at this point? Well, you know, it's a, that's an interesting question. It's funny you asked that. Um, recently, so I'm one of those people that, uh, you, you know, you wouldn't expect to have done the things that they've done and, 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 and been where they've been. My, my friends and I have a joke. My, my rugby buddy, Jay, our team captain, I don't know if you remember him. Uh, the other day, we uh, had a game in San Francisco, and um, it was a tournament. And uh, we're driving up there, and I'm, you know, I'm telling him, I'm telling him things about me, and he goes, nothing surprises me about you anymore. Like I keep finding out a new thing every day. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny that you asked that question. So yeah. I, um, I started, let's see, I grew up in, in Clovis, California, right? I went to Clovis high. Um, I wrestled my whole life. And then once I got to a, to be a sophomore in high school, I started doing martial arts. Um, so what, you know, I was really dedicated to the martial arts for a while. <clears throat> I have two black belts right now. So I have one in Taekwondo and then one in Kenpo Karate. Uh, American Kenpo, that is. There's there's a difference between Chinese, Hawaiian, and, and American. But um, And then I, I played football. Um, wrestling was my main sport. I was, I was really good at that. But I didn't like the politics involved. And so I, I had to stop. I, I actually the school I wrestled for was number one in the nation at one point. Um, and so, yeah, they're pretty good. And so I I went to football. Um, so straight after high school, I went to college. Um, I played college football. Uh, I, I was an English major actually. Um, and, uh, so shortly thereafter, right after graduating, I went into the police academy, right? Uh, and it was around the time where, so I, I don't know if you you know know anything about policing or anything, but there's what I like to call a pendulum, okay? So this pendulum is either in favor or not in favor. Well, right now we're in a time where it's not in favor, of course. Right. And and back back at the time, for me, I wanted to be the difference. I wanted to be the one that swung the pendulum towards us, right? right? Towards, towards people that, that are wanting to make that kind of difference. Um, and so I went through there, got hired by the sheriff's department, had a couple different offers. Ultimately, when I was in the academy, I was 20 years old. Okay. So even after like doing that, I had to, I would have to, I would have had to have waited about six and a half months to turn 21 before starting on patrol. Hmm. Um, I, I took a, I made a wise decision, right? I, I decided that there was a maturity level and I didn't think that I possessed it at the moment. Hmm. Okay. So 
I, I, I was always fortunate enough to have the gift of gab, right? Um, <laughs> that's my thing. I, I, I mean, <laughs> it's not bragging if you've done it, but, yeah, um, yeah. I've always had the gift of gab, so it's never really been hard for me to do things. Right. Um, and so I decided as an executive decision that it wasn't going to be for me. So I wanted to do something. I wanted to grow up. Okay. So in between everything that was going on in life back then, I decided I was going to join the army. So I went and uh, I did that for a bit. And that was quite an experience in its own right. Um, so growing up, you know, I grew up, my dad was a single dad. Okay. So the only thing that I really saw in life was how to work hard, what discipline was and stomaching everything, you know, mm. taking everything and locking it up, lock that up. You're, you're not crying. We're not doing any of that stuff. Um, and that, that was just the example that I had. Um, and so when I got into the army, I, I discovered something, right? And what I discovered was mental health because I didn't really believe in depression as, as a young man or you know, even I, well into my twenties, like maybe I was 22 when I discovered what mental health really was and how it affected me and how it pertained to me. So I remember when I was in the army, there's a, there's certain things that usually happen that didn't happen to me. Right. So number one, you're usually never alone. Um, you usually have bunk mates, you know, roommates, things like that. Um, and so outside of basic training, um, and I went to my, my first, uh, schooling station, which was Fort, Fort Lee, Virginia. And, uh, it, it, it went to a point where instead of having three other guys in my room, I was alone and which is really kind of unheard of in that situation, mm -hmm. but it happened to me. And I sat there in that tiny room with those four walls and those two extra beds over there. And I really had to look myself in the mirror and uh, I found out really quickly. I didn't like that. Mm. Um, there, there's nothing like being alone with your thoughts and yourself to really kind of just snowball effect into maybe depression, maybe anxiety, you know, all of the above. And so that happened to me. It was at a point where I was, I was so depressed and I didn't even know what was happening mm. because again, remember the example that I had, it was, you better keep it pushing. And, uh, it got harder and harder to do that. So I, I decided I needed to talk to somebody. Right. So of course, you know, we got really good doctors in the army. Um, so I went and I talked to them and I told them, I gave him my life story, you know, <clears throat> sat down with, um, a therapist, uh, and then a prescriber. And, um, it, it turned out that I had some, some diagnoses that I would have never otherwise known unless I was alone like I was and just spiraling out of control. And so far from home. And so far from home, so far from anyone that really cared about me because, you know, you know I mean, it's easy to feel like no one cares about you when there's no one there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and you know, I didn't have a support system like that. Um, 
So it was tough. So they, they diagnosed me, right? They gave me depression, adjustment disorder, and uh, OCD. Okay. So the adjustment disorder, because I had a hard time transitioning. The OCD, because for one of one, one of two reasons. Um, not just like the OCD where I have to have everything neat, because I do. And if anything's moved, I kind of lose it. But <laughs> I, I, do, I do this thing in my mind where I'll take a scenario and I will play that scenario out 1,600 different ways. <laughs> and, um, and they told me, you know, that was obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'm like, wow, I would have never known. Mm. Um, and so... Back when I was a young man, I remember uh, they said I had ADD, which, I mean, all kids have ADD, I think. Um, and uh, I was on Ridlin, I believe, and it turned me into a zombie, so my dad didn't like it very much. Um, so he took me right. off, right? And um, so that was my first experience with medicine. And so when I got, you know, diagnosis, I got prescribed, they told me, okay, um, we're going to try... The big, the, 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 the main three they treat for depression and, you know, some of them treat other things like some of them treat depression, anxiety, um, and so on and so forth. So we started with Zoloft and I found that Zoloft didn't really, that didn't really work for me. So then we transitioned to Wellbutrin and, um, that really wasn't working for me either. And so I had decided that I wasn't going to take medicine anymore. Okay. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. I get out of the army. Um, and I start, you know, I start working a job. I worked at Target. That was my first job out of the army. Now I developed a really bad drinking problem because the medicine wasn't working. Mm. And that was all I had to be, you know, okay again. Right. Right. So, it, it, you know, it got to a point where I was waking up at eight and, and that, that was the start of the day. I'm, I'm drinking until sundown, you know what wow. I mean? And, um, it, it was that way for a long time. And so I went and I, I talked to another therapist, okay. And they were like, Hey, we're going to put you on a new medicine. We're going to give you lithium. And I'm like, <laughs> That's a, isn't that for, <laughs> now I know I got problems. But <laughs> um, Is but, it? Yeah. So we tried that. Yeah. Are, are you sure? <laughs> so, so I tried it and, um, that was my turning point, right? Excuse me. Um, that was my turning point. That's when I decided, okay, something's got to be done here. <laughs> so for me, Dealing with the mental health and the issues and the trauma and the childhood, what it looked like for me was accepting that there is mental health and that there is issues. And once I did that, once I really sat down and said, okay, you know what's wrong with you. You know, you know why, right? I had to sit there and really just play everything that's happened in life. And um, I had to you know, sit there and go through this and find Coleman and, and, uh, pick and pull and probe and prod. And, uh, Mm. I came to one conclusion. 
one, mental health is not really a joke and, um, you know, you need to take care of it. And two, I, I'm not like most people. I'm, I'm built a little bit different in the regard that me accepting that, me opening my mind, expanding it, researching and understanding this led me to be able to really be okay in a sense. So it, it got to a point where I don't need this medicine. What I need to do is acknowledge it and acknowledge that I have feelings and acknowledge that there's things that are wrong that happened to me and things that are wrong that I've done and things that are wrong that have been done to me. And that's okay. I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so, and, and I found it, I, I found once I opened my mind, expanded it, understood, I really became okay again in that sense. And, um, then it got to a point where I was able to advocate, right? Um, I'm really big on advocating because I know what it's like to be at, <laughs> at the lowest point in your life. I, you're, you know, on the floor crying in a ball because life has just kicked you and kicked you. And I found it really easy to express that to other people and help them understand and uh, really just be there to listen to them and give them my take and relate because I, I, I haven't met someone I couldn't relate to yet with a story. So. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm, I, I guess I'm only 25. I got a long time. But wow, man. <laughs> hopefully, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. What so, a journey you've been on the last five years. A little bit of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little crazy. Okay. There's so much there, dude. Crazy. Thank you for sharing that and for articulating so beautifully. Yeah. Everything you just said is exactly what I am trying to get on record and share because there is this whole machismo thing and you identified it exactly, you know, and looking back, right? Like your dad, single dad, he's working to keep everyone together. He's working to keep the roof over the head and try to raise you into a good person and he's dealing with his own stuff. And so it's just like, yeah, I can see why it's kind of easier to just pretend like, nothing happens or not acknowledge it. But we all know, like we are all walking around bearing our experiences and ignoring them, pretending like they never happened. Isn't going to (laughs) help, you know? Exactly. That, that, that I can tell you (laughs) that I could tell you. That's so interesting. So, okay. I want to, I want to, um, so if we bring it back, so like, so now, for example, let's say that, you know, instead you, you grew it up, you grew up with the lock it up uh, kind of modeling. So now it sounds like you are a, a role model of sorts for your friend group or your teammates, guys you train with, you know, you, you, you are there for them if they have problems and they want to talk. So how do you normalize it for them? How, how do you make them feel like it's okay and make them feel like it's normal what they're experiencing? I think one thing that everyone needs is to know that they aren't alone in that, right? Um, You're not the only one going through it. And I think the biggest thing is relating and saying, hey, I I see you, I hear you, and I acknowledge you. And let me tell you about me. (laughs) We are one in the same, I promise. You know what I mean? 
I, I think that's a really big part of it. It's like even from, you know, from my friends, um, I, I, I think acknowledging that and understanding it and letting them know that, that you care. I think that's one of the most important things you could do, especially for your brothers, you know, um, as well as any other human being on the mm-hmm, planet, but mm-hmm. especially my friend group, you know what I mean? There was, um, I think the lowest I have ever been in my life, right? I went through a really bad breakup. Okay. And at the same time, my friend went through a really bad breakup. I, actually, uh, my roommate. And, um, we, we had this thing. We, we, we were extremely depressed. It, and that, that was, we, we thought we had met our people or it's, well, he did meet his person up. I thought I had met my person, mm-hmm. like my human being that I was going to roam the earth with forever. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> Real biblical, I guess. <laughs> the English major coming out. I love it. No, you know, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I, I thought that, that I had found that, um, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it ended up ending, but I thought, well, this is the end. Right, right. <laughs> this is the end of the world. I think we've all been through that one breakup. You're like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we, uh, we were really depressed. Right. And again, that was, that was a point where uh, we were, you know, waking up and I'm pounding liquor. Like there's liquor in my coffee. There's liquor in my water. There's liquor in my liquor. Okay. And, um, I ended up taking about a month off from work to, or not a month, maybe two and a half, three weeks. So like maybe a month. Um, and it ended up, you know, down that rabbit hole, what we did was he was going through the same thing at the same time. So what we did was we got together and we, we started watching anime, something so silly. Like, um, I mean, I've always been kind of into anime, you know, Mm -hmm. but never really took the time to watch it, but that was our thing. We used to, we got a show together. Okay. And we just watch a show, we'd binge it. And that, that was how we spent our nights and that was how it was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, because when we, we weren't, you know, together doing that, we were drinking ourselves in the ground or crying on a floor. It it was really that bad. Um, and there were even times where we would, so like we would box each other, um, just to like feel, you know what I mean? Just to feel. Um, but it made it better knowing that I wasn't there alone. Right. That that was the point of that whole story. I don't, I don't need you to know about my worst breakup of my life. What I need you to know is that I got through that. I got over that mountain. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a foothill. It was a mountain. Okay. I had to climb that thing with a pickaxe, the whole deal. Mm. I got over that because I had someone right there with me. I had a a soldier with me, a brother with me, a teammate with me, you know? Um, I had them right there with me telling me it's going to be okay. Me telling them it's going to be okay. When he's at his lowest, I'm picking him up. When I'm at my lowest, he's picking me up. And I, and I think, to answer your question, and I'm going to sum that all up for you. We need to know that we're cared about too, right? Chris Rock, uh, he, I don't know if you're in the stand up mm-hmm. or not. Chris Rock had a, uh, a special called Tambourine, okay? 
And he said, men are the only things that are loved conditionally based off what they can provide, right? Women and dogs, that's unconditional love. You, you know, you love your dog. Women, you know, you don't expect anything like that. But men, I think it sometimes falls on us or, or that's the dynamic that society has created, right? That we have to provide, we have to hunt and gather and, you know, <laughs> maybe not anymore, but yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? We, 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 we have to do that. Otherwise we're not worth two cents. And I, and that's not true, right? That's just not true. Um, we, we're just as important as anything else, anyone else. And I think we don't take care of ourselves enough because we don't know. You know oh, what I mean? Totally. We don't yeah, know. Yeah. We know, I mean, I, we know I that we, we know there that are a lot of women. Yeah. I, th- I think there are a lot of women who would say they feel like their love they receive is conditional on their appearance, you know, and their youth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still agree with, with the sentiment because, you know, when I look at the older men in my life, it seems like there was this kind of unspoken contract of as long as you provide, everything else is absolved. You know, as long as you earn money, then that's, you're good. Like you, you checked the box, you know, as opposed to having responsibility for, you know, other areas of life, like emotional development or, you know, being a good role model in some way. Um, and then also, yeah, it kind of, it sucks because if someone can't do that, say someone, you know, fails or gets fired or has a setback, then they, as a man, can feel like, you know, if that's the only kind of component or pillar of their identity and that goes away, then they're pretty fucked. But yeah, I, I was just saying I agree with you, man. Like having having our identities kind of pigeonholed in, in just that one thing of being a provider is is not helpful because shit happens. You know, companies go down, people get sick. Yep. And if that's the only thing that is kind of that men have been conditioned to, to be as their identity, then yeah, it's, it's a, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, man. So I do want to, you mentioned you have a black belt in two uh, disciplines. So I just wanted to hear more about that. So what, what are those, what are those martial arts again? Yeah. So Taekwondo, which is uh, basically just kicking, mm-hmm. um, it's Olympic sport. And then American Kenpo Karate, which is, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a form of karate. Um, now American is the, uh, the least, uh, <laughs> prestigious uh, as opposed to Hawaiian and Chinese, of course, but it, you know, it is what it is. Um, so yeah, I, I got black belts in those, but I'm mainly just, a, a stand up fighter. I, I just like to okay. stand and stand and bang out. Um, Coming up on the uh, 26th, I'm fighting for my second title. So right now I have the 150-pound lightweight title, and then I'm going up to the welterweight division to fight for the 170 title and hopefully have two at the same time. Holy shit. You're going to go up yeah. 15 pounds? Yeah, I'm going to go up 15 pounds. Oh, well, that, I mean, that's not really that hard because okay. I, I almost have to <laughs> I almost have to kill myself to get to 155. It's bad. Yeah, okay. Um, 
Yeah, it's tough. So this 170 is heaven sent. I mean, that weight's just falling off. I, I figure I started about 198. Um, and, the, and then I, you know, it, for me, it's just getting up off the couch and working out. I'll shed 10 pounds, no problem. So I, I, <laughs> sorry, ladies in the passenger seat, she looks at me like I'm crazy because <laughs> she's mad that I could just shed for you. Right. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah, no. So I'll shed that 10 pounds easy just from working out. And then the rest of it, I started intermittent, intermittent fasting Yep. and I lost six pounds. I'm waking up at like 181 right now and I haven't even started my weight cut yet. So. It's going to be really healthy. I'm really excited. Nice, man. So what what are the – I don't fast too. I think it's great. It keeps me super lean for me. Yeah. Um, so what are the differences then in going from those two weight classes, like the athletes you're facing and the style of fighting? What what are the differences? Um, I really think uh, – eh, and I don't mean to brag when I say this, but I am – abnormally strong at 155 because I, I mean, I'm, I'm tall for 155. I'm five foot 10. So, and to put it in hindsight, do you ever watch UFC? Yeah. I'll, I'll catch the highlights. Okay. So Khabib is five foot nine. Conor McGregor is five foot nine on his best day, right? I'm five ten. I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big 155 pounder. Um, and so that 15 pound transition now, what I give up in a, what I give up is sometimes a little bit of power in the 170 division because uh, it, back in wrestling we used to say you know a good 170 pounder probably walks around about 205 210, right? Right. Okay. Um, so you know I'm giving up a little bit of power, but I can make up with speed and uh, cardio. That's what it is. Okay. Speed and cardio. So, so generally, everyone, no one like <clears throat> puts on weight to fight. They're always cutting to make weigh in. Yeah, the only time you put on weight is probably as a heavyweight, um, or if you're if you're doing what I'm doing and going for a second belt, then you know you're gonna. But yeah. heavyweight because heavyweight the cap is two sixty five. So you got some heavyweights that you know they'll two twenty. They'll put on a little bit of weight. Um, they'll put on a little bit of weight to give themselves that advantage. Like, uh, Tyson Fury does that and he does it well. He puts on a bunch of weight to outweigh his opponents. And then he just kind of hangs on him while he's fighting. And then carrying all that weight on you is just atrocious. <laughs> it, it's so hard to, re- yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's bad. And so this, uh, this belt you hold and the other one you're going for, this is in, this is in MMA and which, um, yeah. Yeah. Which like competition or which, um, so the organization I fight for is Valley fight series. Nice. Um, down, down here throughout California. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the organization I fight for. That's where I hold the, the title and hopefully the second one pretty soon. That's awesome, man. Okay. You also mentioned the, um, the, the pendulum of policing. I think that's a really interesting one because I actually had a guy on, who's going to be on the week before your episode. And he mm-hmm. was a police officer from Ohio. And mm-hmm. I, I asked him some questions like, you know, why, why is it that police agencies investigate themselves? And, you know, this whole, this whole thin blue line concept of not 
um, informing on other officers when there's been a, a deadly use of force, you know, those kind of things, and got his perspective. And I think it's uh, interesting that you said it was a wise decision. Is that because you weren't ready, or is it because looking back now you, you don't think that lifestyle and that career is something that you would, you know, be happy in? I think I'd be the best cop. <laughs> um, I, I think I'd be the best cop. And I think what my goal was, uh-huh. my goal back then, I wanted to be internal affairs. I wanted to police the police. Okay. I wanted to spend my two years in the beat and hold myself to the standard that I believe, you know, I wanted to live it right. and then go police the police the way I know I was supposed to be doing it. However, I don't think that I was mature enough back then at 20 years old or even 21. Um, I don't think that I was mature enough and, and that's why I didn't do it. But I'm all, I'm, I mean like my coach, you know, that I've been with for one of my coaches, at least that I've been with for seven plus years. He, you know, he was a cop Marine Corps. I, I know a bunch of police. I obviously, because I was in that dynamic for so long, that was my life. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I just wasn't, mature enough you know what i mean and that, and that's a good decision to make because you, you see all these things go wrong yeah right you see all these you know you got someone who was trigger happy and god forbid a child like me at that time you know what i mean and then i make the wrong decision i have to live with that for the rest of my life and i wasn't going to put myself nor someone else in danger like that you know what i mean it was just a wise yeah. decision yeah yeah and so how about the army experience you know i have I've had friends go in who needed a reality check and needed some humbling and they got that. I've had friends go in who were kind of wild and nothing could contain them. Their parents can never contain them. School can never contain them. And then, you know, mm-hmm. they kind of got some structure and, and, and shaped up a bit. So what did that experience do for you? And, and yeah, I, yeah, I have more questions about that, but let's, we'll start with that. What did, what did the army do for you? Not a thing. Okay. <laughs> Not a single thing. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Not a single. I didn't have the same experience, right? I was stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas. And that's not the place you want to be when you look like me. Yeah. I don't just mean a full beard. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you get me. <laughs> no. Um, what the Army did for me was it made me uh, keen on mental health. That's what it did. Right. I, you know, I, I, one of my really good friends in the army, um, he killed himself right on home soil before any deployment. Mm. It, and, uh, so uh, again, one of the rugby guys on the team, he's in the Navy and we're talking about it and we're joking about it. It's not really a joke. You know, we're, we're talking about, we're like, there's not one person in the military that hasn't thought about killing themselves. And it's, you know, the environment that you're in, it's, it's hard. You know what I mean? I guess like any other profession, it's difficult and it really feels sometimes like no one cares about you. And there are a lot of suicides, you know what I mean? And that breaks my heart because totally, you know, that breaks my heart before you even get there to where you're in those trenches you're fighting a battle within and nobody knows it right if i had known my buddy was going through stuff you know when before we found him 
<laughs> hanging from the shower, it, you know, it, it might've been a little bit different. Excuse me. I allergies. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. It, uh, yeah, it might've little been different, been a little bit different. You know what I mean? There, there's, yeah. there's a battle within. And, and so I, I'm grateful for the experience that, cause it made me aware of these things. It made me aware. It made me realize that, Hey, you need to deal with this, um, before, before you spiral. Totally, man. I'm sorry that you lost your, your friend, man. That's fucking sucks. Yeah. But we're doing something about it, right? We're putting the message out there that, you know, there people aren't alone. And, you know, the analogy that I was taught when I first learned about mental health and particularly suicide is that, you know, a person who's in crisis, they are looking through life as if through a straw. You know, they can only see through that straw and it's impossible for them to take away the straw and get the full view. And... Yeah, I think that's a good kind of analogy to understand what people go through and how desperate, you know, it can really be. Um, so you also mentioned your, your battle with alcoholism and mm-hmm. excessive drinking. And there may, yeah. there may be people listening who are dealing with substance abuse or on that journey, you know. So how do you... How, how would you encourage someone who is dealing with that to approach that, that problem, that mountain that they have to climb? It's a good question. It's hard for me to answer that question because... Like I lived it and I was there, but I, I, I have a really, like I'm a cold turkey kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just, I have a will that's that strong. If, you know, for me, I, if I wanted to stop, I, you know, which I did, I, one day I decided I can't do this. Like I, I can't do this. So I think my advice would be if you do have that, that struggle, any substance. I think first, maybe like talk to a friend about it. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't jump straight into, uh, you know, NA and NA and because that's scary, right? Mm. That's scary mm-hmm. when you know you have a problem. I think first yeah. talk to somebody about it, talk to someone who cares about you and let them know that you're struggling. Um, I, I think, I think admitting is always the first step. That's what, like yeah. acknowledging that there's a problem. It it really does, like even if you don't stop, it, it does wonders to just know, like, hey, this isn't good for me, and I, you know, I need to change it or at least get a little bit better each day. Um, I think, and I also think they need to understand that. The small battles are wins too, right? There's this uh, one of my favorite anime characters. He he said this this quote. He said, um, "My goal is to be better than yesterday, right? If I can't do that, my goal is to be better than an hour ago, even one minute ago, even one second ago." Let's say you put that bottle down for an hour, you won, right? That was a win for you. Mm-hmm. No matter if you picked it back up an hour later, that's a win, and and that's okay too. 
You know what I mean? Nothing just happens overnight. Nothing happens like that. It's a journey that you have to go on and, and understand that you should be proud of yourself for even that tiny little win, that tiny little win that people won't acknowledge. You need to be proud of yourself for that because that, that takes a big person to do. It takes a strong person. And, um, because, you know, people have lost that battle, right? Totally. People have, people aren't alive anymore. So if you can just for an hour, for 30 minutes, be better than you were, you know, put that down, put the drug down. That's a win. And you need to be acknowledged for it. Acknowledge yourself. Totally. Fuck. Yeah. I love that, man. Thank you. That's that's such a good perspective. And I think that applies to any kind of positive change that we're trying to enforce in our lives, right? Like I think you and I grew up in the sporting environment and yeah, you even more so than me, like, you know, extreme workouts and training consistently and mastering your body is such a powerful lesson. But even if it's getting fit, right. Or improving diet, you know, yeah, like you're not going to be able to wake up one day and suddenly only eat, <laughs> you know, starches and vegetables. Like, Skip dessert. Yeah, like I can't wake up and be vegan. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. But like, <laughs> if you skip the ice cream one night and you usually have ice cream five nights a week, okay, good. Like that's a start, and be proud of that. Exactly. Own that. Yeah, exactly. I love that, man. Awesome. So, one more question before we get to the three things game. Okay. Something about your story that's interesting to me is that you had this openness to seeking help. In the army, okay. you, you know, you went to the therapist. You went. You were open to trying medication. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a million things that you tried along the way to, to get yourself to a good place, but you didn't have that modeling. So, so what was it that made you open to it? Cause I think that's another big, if we can crack that open, I think that there will be a lot of men listening who can get themselves over that line. I was terrified to, to, uh, to, to experience this thing that you didn't believe in before that maybe you weren't allowed to believe in, or maybe you just wanted to ignore it to find myself curled up in that ball on the ground, panicking and not knowing why, not knowing what it was. Mm. It scared the life out of me. Yeah. So I looked and I said, I don't like who you are right now. You need to talk to someone like you need to figure this out right now. And for me, that was enough for me. Finding out what was wrong made it so I could nullify and, you know, cool down the effects. But the reason is because I was terrified. It terrified me growing up where depression wasn't real. You know <laughs> what I mean? Which it was, <laughs> which right. it definitely was. Right. Uh. Um, but growing up in a, in a place like that where we didn't believe in it or, you know, it wasn't something that we talked about. I, I didn't even know that word existed till I was 22. Wow. You know what I mean? Like you heard kids in high school say it and you were like, smile. <laughs> I was, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it scared me. And, um, and so, I, I mean, I guess to anyone that would be going through the same thing, it's okay to be scared. I trust me. I, you know, I, I lock myself in a cage with a man who's trying to rip my head off. Fear is not really in my repertoire. 
but that scared the life out of me. Mm. And it's okay to be scared. It's okay to have that, that thing that, uh, that you're worried about. It's, it's okay. You don't, you don't have to hold the entire world on your shoulders. You know what I mean? Totally. Awesome, man. Dude, beautifully said. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing all that. It's a fucking inspirational story, man. Good on you. Gotcha. All right. Three things game. So we each get a question. Um, whoever's birthday is okay. sooner goes first. So what uh, month is your birthday in, Marlon? Uh, October. Okay. Um, it's me. I'm next. Okay. Here is my question. What are three things I've learned about motivation? I would say that it really is the mind and harnessing the mind and not letting the mind tell you what your body can and can't do. Um, for me, and, and even if it's not a physical task, but just pushing through whatever whatever it is like for me it's like <clears throat> i love the feeling of getting up early and working out very early mm-hmm. and if i if i can see so that would, one would be the power of the mind two i would think is uh seeing the end goal and seeing the results i want and putting the emphasis on that rather than the barrier to getting there so like let's say it's i want to be lazy i don't want to get up and work out i know the feeling of once i leave the gym or finish the workout in the morning and the sun is up. I feel the sun on my skin. I go get a coffee and I feel like a fucking million dollars. Like that is the feeling that I want. And to me, focusing on the end goal and not focusing on how tired I am is, is more important. So like if you have the motivation, think about what you want um, and not about the barrier to get there. And number three, I would say that um, it's really good to ask why, like, if this is a goal or a priority, like check uh, for me to check in with myself. Why is it? Like, for example, like this podcast, like what, what about this? Why do I put time into this? Why do I sacrifice personal time and time with friends and family to do this? Like, why do I, and make sure that those motivations are aligned with good reasons, you know? And so I'm not just, um, doing something without kind of being thoughtful about it. Yeah. All right, man. So here's your, well said, Thank you, thank you. All right. What does that say? You want to read that to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. What are three things you have learned about communication? <laughs> what are three things I have learned about communication? It's key. <laughs> it's key. And especially with, you know, thing, things that you and I do, right? Um, rugby, we're on the pitch. Well, <laughs> hey, I'm on your left. Hey, I'm on your right. We need to know that, right? Otherwise, I'm what am I going to do? I'm going to run straight. Um, I think communication is the most important thing. I think it's the most important thing in all aspects of life, right? Mental health, communicating with yourself, letting yourself know it's okay. Like we talked about those battles, the small battles. Um, it's, it's key. You need to communicate with yourself. You need to acknowledge yourself. Um, communication and relationships. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and by communication, I mean listening yeah. to what your lady says or your, you know, your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, besides being key, communication is 
really what keeps things moving, right? I mean, can you imagine a world where we didn't talk? We just walked around? <laughs> I can't, right? Can you, imagine, <laughs> you certainly can't. <laughs> like, a, 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 imagine, a, a, imagine a baby that can't cry. Right. Well, what do, how do I know what's wrong? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Imagine someone, you know, um, and also what communication is, it's global. It's in every aspect of life, the animal kingdom. It's everyone communicates, right? We all have our own languages, our own signs. Mm -hmm. Animals can talk to each other. Um, Elephants can remember everything. Communication is how the world keeps going. That was my third thing. Awesome, yeah. man. Dude, awesome. All right, Marlon. Well, we're, we're up on time, but thank you so much for for uh, for doing this, man. You definitely you know inspire me to be a better person, and thank you for sharing so candidly and, and openly, and I think there are going to be a lot of people who benefit from, from hearing this, so thank you, man. Absolutely. I hope so. I appreciate you having me, brother. Yeah. So the you have your fight coming up. Um, is there any way that folks can can check it out yeah um so i can uh yeah so there's there's a link i I don't have the link at the moment but Mm -hmm. um but it's going to be valley fight series in hanford on the 26th so you know if you're close to there not let me you know you can get tickets and and watch there's it's it's going to be a lot of a lot of fights on there and a lot of title fights too so it's going to be well worth it awesome cool man yeah i'll link to that dude cool all right Ryan. well thank you man right. we'll see you uh we'll see you next time we play and yeah big congrats to the, the golden dogs as well man it's a uh, fucking yeah. awesome to see a new new club in the mix yeah thank you thank you looking forward to scoring on you again huh yeah it won't be so easy <laughs> this time right. buddy yeah. <laughs> now I know. I hope not. Now I know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, brother. Okay, thanks, man. Have a good day. All right. Bye. Bye.